I think that I've read most of your books, Lydia Bastianich. I may have missed a very early one out of the, is it 10 you say? Is that not counting your children's books? No, no, that's counting the children's book, 10 altogether. But Lydia's common sense Italian cooking arrived on my desk, and I was flabbergasted. It is so fresh, so new. It's different. What did you do differently? Oh, thank you, Anne. You know what? What I did differently, because I gave enough recipes, and certainly I have recipes in this book, but I want to liberate the cook out there that's dying to cook, that wants to get into the kitchen and is always afraid to let go. I want them to go into the kitchen and to really look in themselves and understand how much common sense, how much cooking they can really do on their own. Yes, my recipes will guide them, the paragraph, my directions, all of that is to one point that they are comfortable in the kitchen, that they make their recipes their own, and that they cook, cook from the heart with what they have. Now, this, of course, correlates with your PBS programming, uh, which I, you said just started now. Um, in this book, you, you, first of all, you quote how rare common sense is, <laughs> which I agree. And, and to me, um, I think that, that you add an element in this book through your tips and also through talking everybody through the, the recipes that if anybody has any common sense, they're bound to let it loose, I think. <laughs> now, there are some of these tips. Each recipe you have, you know, it's organized by how? Well, the book is organized very simply by the courses. You know, the appetizers, the soups, the pasta, uh, the main course, the fish, the, the chicken, so, and desserts. So it's rather a simple following. You know, it is about simplicity. And common sense and navigating, uh, the world of cooking and eating in the most basic and simplest form. Now, I think you emphasize, you've always emphasized the, fr the freshness of ingredients, the quality of ingredients, but you really push it in this book. Well, I think that's at the basis of every great chef and every great recipe is, is the product because I cannot resuscitate something that's gone and finish and over. I, as a chef, uh, if, I, if I can take what the best that, that nature can give me, that the earth can give me, and elaborate it as little as needed or as possible, then I'm a great chef. And I know that what I cook is going to be really good because you can't beat nature. And I give it a little helping with the seasoning. So good product, simple preparations, and with confidence. And you give these practical little tips. First, you also don't like to waste anything. And I learned something from you that I was really proud that I picked up on. Is you said after you use a lemon for lemon juice, save the shell, the the the, the lemon, plop it in the freezer, and then throw it in when you need to have acidulated water for something. I love that. Well, I, absolutely. You know, that goes really back, I guess, to my upbringing and where, you know, with my grandma in the courtyard. I mean, we produced, she produced 
I, I sort of uh, ran after her and, and helped her, but she produced everything that we ate, and everything was essential. Nothing was wasted because she had to work at it and, and you know, plow that earth and seed it and all of that. So even when we peeled the potatoes, those peels went to another pot that was cooked for the pigs. You know, that was the food for the pigs. And I just think that uh, it's so, so gallant in respecting uh, 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 nature and, and the earth and what it gives us. Uh, you know, we are cons- uh, uh, concerned about our, our universe, our environment, our this. Well, let's begin with what we eat and let's not waste anything uh, and let's spare and respect our environment. Now, each recipe, um, actually each section is, is prefaced by a little short essay uh, where you're spreading your kitchen wisdom and kitchen sense. And then each each recipe has a little introduction, which it seems to me the more experienced you're getting, the more poetic you're getting. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, thank you. Thank you, Anne. You know, uh, when I started my first book, my big preoccupation was, I can't write. I'm not a writer. What am I going to? And I was encouraged. I says, Lydia, you need to put these recipes down. I says, but I'm not a writer. And then, uh, you know, Judith Jones, the, the infamous, uh, food, uh, book ed- cookbook editor, she said to me, Lydia, just put it all down. Get it all out in the way that you speak about food yourself. I will do the editing. And so that was my first kind of entree in, in writing about food, really telling the truth, telling it from the heart, and then sort of trimming it off and cleaning it up, as you do, you know, when you cook. Now, are there any recipes here that are so totally new to you that you you just, they came to you suddenly, but it's not something you did in the past or over and over again or it's all rooted in tradition, I know, but is something really new that you're doing? Uh, you know, I think that um, with all my 10 books, I have not invented one recipe. Most, the, All of the recipes that I use, whether in the books or in my restaurants, are recipes that belong to the Italian color, culinary patrimony. And I borrowed them, I modified them, I made them contemporary in many ways. So I can't take credit for any of those. The additions to to some of those recipes and changes, that I take credit for. Uh, but again, none of these recipes are my own. What I did, actually, I went back to, to some of those elements maybe that, that people are afraid, you know, those intense flavorful elements that give a, a simple dish, like here you opened it, to anchovy eggs, you know, uh, anchovy. People kind of, you know, kind of wrinkle their nose to anchovies, unless you really love them, you know. But anchovy is one of the elements. It's, for me, it's one of the umami of the Italian uh, culinary kind of uh, product repertoire. It is so intense in flavor. And so added to eggs, the, the two, it just kind of takes it up another notch and another level. I use anchovies when I roast lamb. I take one or two, chop them up, and throw them in the roast of lamb. It gives a wonderful... When I cook chicken, one anchovy by itself will give such complexity, and nobody will know it's in there. Well, I think readers will discover how much you love anchovies. Also, capers. You have a lot of capers here. Um, and and you, you explain how you work with these ingredients, not... It, it's hard for me to explain this, but 
they were such strong flavors, and yet what you just said is that you can use them to increase complexity in what is traditionally a very simple cuisine. And then the other thing I wanted to say is you have here illustrations, photographs of step-by-step how things are done. And I, I think you're awesome, Lydia, because I could see those hands anywhere, and I would know they're yours. Uh, thank you, Anne. You know, I get a lot of comments on my hands, and even when I have book signing, uh, people say, can I shake your hands? Can I see your hands? And, uh, you know, for me, hands are uh, an extension of my senses. I need to touch food uh, for many different reasons. Uh, it, food speaks through my hands to me. I can tell if a fish is fresh. I can tell if meat is tough. I can tell if that artichoke is is nice and crispy. And so, so uh, uh, I use my hands a lot in in really sensing and feeling and collecting information from the product before I even buy it. Sometimes because it's you know it discriminates. Say, oh, this is no good. I'm you're not going to cook it good. You know, leave it alone, and I put it back. And this is. My hands talking to me. So I think like many other things, like, like a violinist or a cellist, you know, you need to have that feel, feel of that, of that string, of that, you know, the pressure, whatever. And, um, that's meat, uh, uh, products talk to my, my fingers the same way. Well, I, you express a lot of personality through your hands and also through the kinds of things you, you choose here that Americans may not be quite as familiar with as they should be, such as one of my most favorite things is razor clams. Uh, let's just explain a little bit about what you do with razor clams to give an idea of the kind of food you're cooking in this book. Well, razor, razor clams uh, are those long kind of brownish clam shell uh, 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 that has that long clam in it. What is different than a clam that it is uh, it needs much less time to cook. It needs simplicity. You need to cook it in a shell because the shell is so fragile that if you try to yank it out or pull it out, uh you you break the 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 the, the clam the uh, the clam and the shell of course and it chips. So simplicity and very short cooking time is the answer to this Delicious, delicious, uh, 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 mollusk. Um, so, garlic, good oil, the basis, a little parsley, a little white wine, and I put a little breadcrumbs. You know, whenever I do a juicy, uh, uh, kind of clam mollusk kind of cooking, and they release a lot of their juices, I put a little bit of breadcrumbs in that juice just the last minute to kind of densen up the sauce so it's not brothy brothy so you can kind of it sticks to the shells so you know i think the recipe is right there garlic oil parsley white wine and razor clams the one thing is find a pan that you sort of set them all in line again because they are so fragile you don't mix them you can mix them you can shake the pan a little bit cover them let them kind of open up and then enjoy See, this is common sense. <laughs> and listeners, you'll learn how to make a pasta correctly. Uh, you'll be able to uh, prepare an artichoke, which is not as hard as it sounds. Sauces, um, meat dishes, 
lots of vegetables. I think that that's very contemporary as well. And I think this is a real achievement, Lydia. Thank you so much for writing it and for sharing all these secrets with the world. Well, thank you, Anne, because, Anne, you have been following me <laughs> for quite, for a few years, you and I. And so coming from you and and understanding uh, of what this book really, why I needed to do this book, I really appreciate that. You got it. It's common sense and it's simple. To finish, can you give us just the details on your PBS program? Yes. Uh, at my uh, my cooking show, which is based on Lydia's Common Sense, uh, is on uh, WQED uh, on Saturday afternoon. I'm not sure when. It's the best is to check the schedule. And then it's on, on um, Create also several times. It's the parallel station to PBS Create. And it runs, uh, I think, four or five times during the day. So you're able to catch it. And, and depending on what part of the country you're in, you, you will have to check to find out when that local PBS station in Boston and New York and in San Francisco, they tend to be renegades. And they put it, they put it on at different times of the day. And if you're outside these United, United States, well, I'm very sorry. You'll just have to wait for it to become a CD or a DVD. Is that in the plans? Well, no, it's airing in Mexico. Uh, uh, Russia just took uh, took on the show, and they're dubbing it in. The Middle East, uh, we're uh, certainly in Canada it is. So for you around the world, <laughs> you can catch Lydia. You will have subtitles in some cases, but do do catch catch Lydia. And I think if you go to lydiasitaly.com uh, and you catch on, uh, you sort of link on to my PBS show, it will tell you the different stations and the airing time. Now, now we're the lucky ones, because we're going to be part of the experiment tonight. <laughs> has, has, has Lydia's restaurant in Pittsburgh been cooking from this book, or are we doing that for the first time tonight? No, the sh you know, the chef, uh, Jeremy here, uh, uh, as soon as he got the book, he, they, they were excited. They want to test. Of course, like all chefs, then they do a little bit of their own rendition. But tonight, the meal is based solely and wholly from Lydia's Common Sense Cookbook. So I look forward to your comments and uh, enjoyment. And some Bastianich wines will be served with that. Wonderful. All right. Sounds Yes, you are having Vespa. Yeah. Yes, the Morellino di Scansano and the Aragone. <laughs> okay, all right. So are you staying for dinner? <laughs> we're, we're even more certain to now. Lydia, always such a pleasure to see you in, in our city and to be able to share you with our worldwide audience. Thank you so much for joining us. Lydia Bastianich is unquestionably the grand dame of Italian cuisine in America. And also, as I read this latest, her sixth cookbook, you're so well-connected still in Italy. Yes, the Lydia Cooks from the Heart of Italy is yes. about 10 different regions of Italy. Yes, it says a feast of 175 regional recipes. And this book, two things I noted. One is that you did it with your wonderful daughter, Tanya, and it's dedicated to your father. Could you explain something about Right. Well, I dedicated, the books are about my family, and my family are so instrumental in what I do. And so, kind of, um, each one is for one person, and this one is for my father. And I thanked him uh, for having the 
the courage. And, you know, I came here when I was 12, but my mother and my father were mature in their between 40s and 50s when they brought us here. And they did not speak the language. And it's all because they felt that their children needed an environment to grow properly as adults, an environment because, as, as you know, and that, you know, we were caught behind the Iron Curtain, right. part of Italy that was given to Yugoslavia. So therefore, it was um, quite difficult. And he escaped. We escaped back to Italy and ultimately came here as immigrants. So, uh, you know, I really thank him. And what a dream come true. It's funny. It's fun, let me say something. It's, it's funny you should say that, Lydia, because one of the f- first memories that I have of watching television, and it wasn't even actually television, it was news at the movie theater, was all about what was going on in a place called Trieste. There you go. That's, and that's uh, and it, wa- it was a piece of, you know, it's a, for you it's a piece of living history. For me, I had no idea where Trieste was. I had no idea what they were fighting about. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and I was part of that uh, sort of uh, discussion, and I was uh, part of that, that human uh, number that were kind of decided what life will they, where will they be put behind the Iron Curtain or be back in Italy, and yeah, uh, but you've been there since, so you've, you've known the place. We have, oh, oh, yes. it's, it's a, Trieste is a lovely city and, and a fascinating connection to the Austro-Hungarian Empire as well, but we, we don't need to go into that, because uh-huh. I'm sure you've got, you, ha, you have some recipes that reflect that anyway. Yeah, well, let's give the overall thing. First of all, I, I wanted to say I, I copied a, a, yeah, one of the, something you said out of the book, because it kind of sums up your attitude, your philosophy of food, you say, waste not, want not, Mm. and make it delicious. And that, to me, is your approach to food. It it is. I think also the whole concept of, uh, it's not a a novel concept, certainly. I didn't invent it. But if you go back into the true cooking of Italy, and I, I would venture to say for most of the great cultures, if you go back to the to the true roots, uh, is is it, it's disrespect for our surrounding, for the products, the seasons, using everything, and certainly uh, these regions that I have in this book reflect that, and the recipes are so exemplary, uh, but they're delicious at the same time. You know, if I, I have a great dessert that I make in here, and again, I must tell you that these are not my inventions of recipes. These are all recipes from the Italian culture, which I modified to some extent. But one of those recipes that I am so, it was the chocolate uh, bread parfait, and it is from Umbria. And what they do there is that they take old bread and they melt some chocolate on a double boiler, add some uh, espresso coffee that they have left over, and put some rum in there, and then dunk this uh, kind of old bread, dried bread, until it really it absorbs and becomes moist with this coffee chocolate uh, rum uh, liquid, and and then it's layered in a, in a parfait glass with with uh, whipped cream and toasted almonds, and a key, you keep on layering it, and Beautiful. it is so delicious, so straightforward, just simple bread and the recycling of it, making it into a grand dessert. Well, now, you, you work your way north to south in Italy, identifying characteristics of the food of each region and also the, the character of the region. And then uh, you highlight different producers, you explain the uh, different types of personalities you've met, and then Tanya adds, and in fact, I mean, I know Italy pretty well, and 
she finds places that I've never even knew to look for. <laughs> well, you know, this is her specialty. She is, she is an art historian. You know, she she has a PhD from Oxford in Renaissance art history. But exactly what you said, you know, I mean, to identify uh, the the great paintings, the great churches, the great uh, antiquities, uh, I think you know, a guide a guidebook will do that well. But she has personal experiences with off the beaten track. Exactly. Even some place where you have to go and knock on the door to get the keys and yes. the little church opens up. And and that sort of fits in the way where I travel. So I, I think we share that with the reader. And you know, Anne, uh, I've gotten a lot of response. People are using this book and even my previous book, which is Lydia's Italy, which are yes. the other ten regions, as somewhat a, a, a sensibility of where to travel off the beaten track in Italy. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, how would I take this with me? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Because, I mean, there are lots and lots of tips in here. The, the answer is we would just have to, we'll, just have to, we'll just have to extract the pages for the particular region we go to, one region at a time. And that, right. we, we can certainly make that work. Ah. Now, you took some of the photos? I did. I took most of the photos, you know, except for the food. And that's Christopher Hersheimer. Yeah. The photo of the places and people, I took them. And you know, you They're know beautiful. how it is. Yeah. Thank you. But you know, Anne, how it is when you when you travel, and Peter, you take a lot of the photographs. I know. Uh, is is you catch a moment, and it won't happen again. You need to capture it then. Right then, so yeah. You can't send a photographer after to capture it. So I I got into a little bit. I had some instruction by a photographer on simple, just no artificial light, just regular light photograph, kind of pressing the the shutter, and that's what I do, and it's turning out fine. Well, I have that great picture that I sent you of the uh, of your uh, vineyard in Friuli. That was a beautiful with picture the, with the snowy dolomites in the background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's in uh, in Cividale, Cividale del Friuli. Yeah, the yes, the Sianich winery. Now, you you spend um, parts of this book on studying or focusing on regional cheeses. That's sort of expressive of the different regions, the cheeses, huh? Well, I think cheese is such a base for the Italian cuisine, and it reflects the character of the land itself, uh, topography, hence which animals, what kind of pastures, and hence which animals. You know, you go up to the north, to Lombardy and Emilia-Romagna, great pastures, uh, you know, cows, uh, lots of big milk, uh, so the Grana Padano, the Parmigiano right. Reggiano, or Taleggio, all of those cheeses are made there. You begin to go south, the Apennines, uh, the sort of the backbone of Italy is the, the chain of the Apennines, and there, of course, uh, a lot of uh, goats and sheep and, uh, and, and pigs, for that matter, so that the cheese reflects, reflects a lot of that uh, pecorino cheese in all different, you know, in, in its young stage, uh, the ricotta from sheep's milk, and those are the things that surface in the rest that they use in their recipes because it is a product that they have so you can't separate the two now i made a couple scribbled a little a few notes here is it true that the queen elizabeth the queen of england has imports calabrian onions she does she does uh, <laughs> chipotle di tropea these are wonderful they look like you know kind of um elongated you know like the shallots but much bigger uh-huh 
And I don't think I've ever had one knowingly, at least. I, 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 I remember reading about them because we, we started to study Calabria a little bit because we were thinking of going there and uh, we'll, we'll get there one of these years. Uh, and I remember Tropier as, as a town also that was a place I thought we would go when we were in the region. Uh-huh. Well, Tropea is a beautiful town. Uh, Saint-Tropez up in the in the French Riviera, but this is the, maybe the Saint-Tropez of the south of Tropea. Uh-huh. A lot of Italians go there. It's not yet very touristy known. And around Tropea, which is down uh, on, on the Tyrrhenian Sea, uh, and if you go around the tip of Calabria, you end up in the Ionian Sea. Well, there's a lot of great, great sandy beaches. Beautiful. That's a yeah, we, 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 we've seen, we saw some of those when we were in Puglia and Basilicata. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, uh, I, I think there's still so much to be discovered in Italy, even oh, well, though... you know, you just can't ever... You, you've covered a lot of it, though, Lydia. I mean, <laughs> but, but, Anne, every time I go, I find so many new things, and I said, boy, oh boy, is there more to find out? And this little country, I mean, it's, it's just so rich, so rich of... Well, you of, have really little-known recipes, too. I mean, rice and chestnuts I've never heard of. Oh, it's great. You see, we used to eat as, as that's more of a Nordic, um, uh, and uh, uh, it's up in, in uh, Piemonte, Trentino. I see. And uh, we used to eat, you know, rice was a base for a lot of, uh, sure. uh, yeah, a lot of cook. I mean, rice cooked in milk and inside, you know, if you put the chestnuts or we put sometimes dried prunes. I mean, you know, that's what my grandmother and mother made, and that was sometimes the meal for us kids. Well, yeah, I haven't, uh, you know, I, I guess we had a lot of chestnuts, but I don't recall mixing them with rice at all. Uh, well, it's delicious. Try it. And then I'm, I'm assuming this cookbook, that this is the ultimate osso recipe, right? It is. It is. To uh, talk about Lombardy and it's and not to talk about osso and risotto milanese. And I always get asked for that. You know, Lydia can... But this is, I found, to be quite traditional, and I love it, and it's it really delivers a great osso And you also talk about no-stir risottos. Now, that's something I would look into. <laughs> well, it, I think that I've been predicating about making the real risotto. So I think Americans got that. They, they, they're they getting it. They know what the risotto is and whatever. They're getting familiar with the short grain rice. Now, I know that at home, my mother and my grandmother didn't always stir that risotto continuously. <laughs> there were other ways of cooking the rice. Do you get 100% the, the creaminess that you do in a traditional technique of risotto? No, but it's a great, great alternative, uh, especially, you know, you have a family to feed and you want to run around and do other things, but you want that kind of uh, comfy risotto-like uh, plate for the, for the table. Uh, I have well, several I know, different combinations. Yeah, I know somebody uh, who actually is an Italian wine merchant whose wife makes risotto and she's switched to a pressure cooker risotto. And I tried it once, and then I gave away the pressure cooker. <laughs> well, no, because, you know, you need to mix it to some extent. Otherwise, you know, you want to you sort of, in, in cooking risotto or the like, you want the starches to seep out from the rice and make the texture creamy. In, in a pressure cooker, I mm-hmm. think it would leave, just doesn't have a chance to move, and the starch remains in the kernel. Uh, now, you talked about Moreno Cedroni. Isn't he a character? <laughs> <laughs> have you have you have you been? Have yes, you visited with are, him? Yes, yes, yes. yes. We have indeed. We inter- we interviewed. Oh, I don't know what time. I don't know what time. He he was involved in a 
in a fundraising. No, he was involved in a fundraising project in in Rimini, oh, and he, okay. and he, he was arri- he was arriving at any moment for about three hours. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he is well. That's not so uncommon for for Italy. But you know, because also they drive there. Sometimes they get caught. But I I think you know what he does, and this is on the in Le Marche on the Adriatic coast of Italy, areas that are not very well known, but they have some great uh, uh, fish culture there, and of course, he he began this whole crudo movement right. in Italy. All the regions of Italy, the one that most surprised me for its food culture was La Marche. Ah, I really was surprised. I, well, I we, never we, expected well, we all were that. Well, I guess our, our expectations were not all that great, although we did a lot of research ahead of time, uh-huh. and, uh, and we were absolutely amazed. It, you know, it's so diversified because, again, it's a region yes. that kind of sort of crawls up the Apennine, the mountains. So you right. have that whole mountainous, hearty food, you know, and game and boar, and, and then it's sort of slides into the plain right into the ocean and you have this great great uh, seafood cuisine there that many people don't know right now which area surprised you the most you seemed enthralled with sardinia i yeah sardinia was 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 i mean i always loved it you know what i loved uh, about sardinia was how you can really see the cultures uh, and the different occupation that went through there and how the spanish influence there is so tremendous, mm-hmm. you know, besides having dishes uh, a la Catalana in Alguero. They still speak a uh, Catalanian right. dialect. Actually, there are some, some uh, academics from Spain uh, studying the Catalan uh, dialect in Alguero, mind you. But the paella, they still make paella there. So, you know, how... I mean, it's just so exemplified, even even the architecture of the buildings and all of that. And I, I love that. And I love also, you know what I love? I love the nature, the formation of rocks oh, in yeah. Sardinia. It's like sculpture. Mm-hmm. And there's, there, did you read that book, that the Sardinian who has two restaurants in um, Texas? No. It's interesting. you got a lot of background with the cultures. He grew up there. Uh-huh. And then we also we met a, a, a Sardinian chef. With a, and restaurateur in um, just, Australia, just outside Sydney. In fact, we put ah. we put those two gentlemen in touch with one with with one another. Ah. It's unusual. The most I mean, interesting so thing things. I can remember is that the the chef in Australia, I've forgotten his name now. I was trying to remember it the other day. He he discovered an ex Sardinian who was making a botaga in northern Queensland, ah. <laughs> and and he said. I think it's a better product than the one I get from Sardinia, so it's what I use all the time. <laughs> oh, that's oh nice. You see, good old traditions, they die hard. Well, Lydia, now, is this already a PBS program? Yes, yes. Okay. The, there's 52 half-hour episodes that are parallel and that reflect all of these things that I talk about and the recipes in this new book, uh, Lydia Cooks from the Heart of Italy. Well, listeners, uh, tune in because you get to watch Lydia, too, and she just glows. <laughs> Lydia, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Peter. Well, okay. I, want, I, want, I want to have our listeners eat their hearts out. As I say, that the next thing we're going to do after I save this uh, interview is we're going to come down to Lydia's for lunch. So we'll see you in a few minutes. Okay, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> ciao, Lydia. Ciao, ciao. 
We always enjoy talking to Lydia Bastianich, and we always have something new to talk to her about because she is a prolific cookbook writer, and even actually now a children's story writer, and of course a PBS star. Lydia, welcome to On the Menu, and I have to say that Lydia's Italy in America is just so exciting as a new book. You can explain what the subject is. But I wanted to start out by saying you must have had a ball on this tour, traveling all over the United States looking at Italian-American communities, because there are plenty of pictures of you and your daughter, Tanya, in groups, smiling and looking very happy. Yes, and you know, I had a grand time, really, uh, discovering, if you will, the Italy in America. Right. It took me three years to pull this book together, and uh, just because I've always brought uh, to my restaurants, or still do, to my books, to my television series, Italy, the authentic food of Italy in Italy. And here in America, there is, of course, ever more this authentic food, but there is the whole Italian-American element of food. You have a interesting perspective on it since you yourself are an Italian immigrant to America. Well, yeah, I am Italian. I came here at 12 and I am an Italian immigrant. I'm a sort of uh, the immigrant, not the first generation, but just I am the immigrant. Uh-huh. And so I, it was quite evident, even though I was young, as I got older and as I got into food, it was evident to me the, the differences between the Italian food cooked in, in America and the Italian food that came from Italy. And the two a lot of times got mixed up. And the denial of one, oh, that's not really Italian, or that really is Italian. But that's not the case. Two different cuisines. Yes. It represents two different countries, two different parts of, uh, of people's lives. One is the authenticity of what is Italy, its land, its climate, its topology, or whatever. Uh, the other one is... The story of the immigrants, these Italian immigrants coming to a country, finding different products, and creating a cuisine or cooking a cuisine based on what they remembered, but with new products. Yes, and tell me how much you learned in the process of researching this book. I mean, were you surprised by anything in particular? Well, what I was surprised at was how much the Italian-Americans held to their Italian Heritage. I'm talking about three, four generations that are that were here. They still claim their Italian heritage. They still cook those Italian dishes that their great grandmother cooked, and they're so proud. And they make sure that they that this is the history of my family. These are the flavors, and it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's beautiful to see the respect and the pride. That for all purpose sake, these are American people now, four generations, hold in being someplace down the line. Now, didn't they keep their regional identity of Italy when they came here? Like, did, did they stay Calabrian or did they stay Friulian like yourself? In or did they stay cases, like Tuscans or did they stay like Sicilians? In most cases, those initial immigrants came in, if you will, packed from their own region. And I guess that was security. They left uh, as a group. They they thought maybe that in unity, their strength, and they did come. For example, the Sicilians, you know, the three major ports of entry for the immigrants at the end of the 1800s, the beginning of the 1900s, for Italian immigrants were New York, of course, Philadelphia, 
and New Orleans. Yeah, that surprised me. I mean, I found this out with John Betch's the cookbook before last, and we interviewed him. He has a whole section on Sicilian food. Exactly. So, because New Orleans was, I guess, a cheaper port to go to, it offered jobs. You have the whole Gulf fishing. Sicilians are fishermen. They're, you know, island people. And they found jobs and food, and they settled. So this strong influence, when I went to New Orleans, and the remnants of what you will of the Italian culture still being vibrant, the mofaletta sandwich. It's one of those Sicilian sandwiches that I guess workers took to when they went to work their land. And what they did, you know, because Italians always, they, they need their vegetables. And they always preserved or cured or dried legumes and vegetables so that they would have it for the winter. Canned their tomatoes, pickled their olives, and made jardiniera. The different vegetables were pickled when, when they were in season so that in the winter time they would have them. And so this great sandwich for the men going out and working their fields is this bread with cold cut, prosciutto, whatever, and all these pickled vegetables, right. like jardiniera, olives, all of that sort of chopped up and put in with the meat. And this is what the mafaletta sandwich is now in New Orleans. Yes. It's great. They call it olive salad. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the, the bread is like a big hamburger bun, a bigger one, a wider one with sesame seed, very Sicilian. The, the bread with sesame seed actually came from the Arab world of Sicily. So to find it four or five generations later still going strong and one of New Orleans' favorites uh, is traced to, to Sicily. Yeah. Now, what about California? That's another whole. There's California. San, Diego, San Diego and San Francisco, right? Right. The whole of California offered so much opportunity for the immigrants. Let's begin way north in, in the Napa and Sonoma. Oh, now, yeah. that's wine country now, but some of the first settlers were from Trentino Altadige, wine producers, Swiss colony, the Swiss colony, you know, up Trentino is near Switzerland. And they came, and what was planted before by cornfields and different vegetables, they began, they saw this wonderful hills with a great climate, you know, this uh, almost like in northern Italy, for planting vines. And they did, and it was successful. And so on, slowly they brought in their paisanis. Then the Piemontese got got wind of it. Piemonte is the other sort of big wine region of, of Italy. So there's a lot of Piedmontese and Tuscans up there because the opportunity of growing vines and making wine, it was very conducive. But not only that, the opening of this as a wine country, the Bank Bank America, let's say, Giannino was, was one of the... One yeah, he was, uh, he was... He sounds a little Italian, huh? Yes. Well, he, he was, he was the founder of it. I don't know if you ever knew that. No, he I was what? The fa- I was just remembering for hand that Janino uh, was the founder and president of Bank of America. Exactly. So he was from San Francisco, and he saw this influx of immigrants, Italian immigrants. And even though he was a first-generation American, and he realized he began to give small business loans to these uh, vintners. And his heritage had a big deal, much to do with it to trust his people because he knew that his parents uh, came from a culture that made wine and made it successfully. And so grew the wine country and so grew Bank Bank America by making loans to small businesses. Just as a a funny aside, Lydia, a lot of people don't know this, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, but Greystone, the uh, 
Culinary Institute of America place in St. Helena. That used to be the town Swiss colony building. That's right. That's right. They had it up and they started up and then they grew so much that they came down. That's a beautiful building. It's, it a, magnif- it's a magnificent building. I, I can remember drinking Italian Swiss colony wine when I first came here as an alternative to Gallo. I don't think ah. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think it went away now. What, what were some of the unique foods of that part of California that came from Italy? Well, let's, uh, San Francisco. San Francisco, the Ligurians, you know, Ligurian, uh, there's 20 regions of Italy, and if you look at Italy, you know, I call the armpits, but on the left side, <laughs> that, that's Liguria, and Liguria where the pesto is, but Chopino, the fisherman. Okay, I, I, was, I was wondering about that, because a lot of people would trace that to Bula Bays, which comes, which is Marseille in France, but it's really, yeah, no, it's, no, no. it's really different, so it's like a Ligurian sailor soup. It is. The Chopino is, you know, you go to Liguria, you still find the Chopino. They might think in San Francisco that it is their own, but that is rooted in the Ligurian immigrants there. And they still cook it, and they, you know, it's a big part of what the San Francisco menu is. But then, if you travel down, and we're always in California, the Salina Valley, the great sort of uh, valley where, where you get two harvests, up to three harvests of vegetable a year, the garlic the artichokes, the broccoli di rape, hundreds of miles of planted fields of these vegetables. I mean, they couldn't be more Italian, these vegetables, and yet they have become such a big part of the American table. Take, for example, broccoli di rape, Endiboy, the Endiboy family, four generations ago, Grandpa, coming from Italy, needed to bring his broccoli, so he brought the seeds for himself. But now it is a multi-million dollar industry, and it has changed the way Americans eat. Just about everybody knows broccoli rabbit. Yes, <laughs> and then you're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the canning empires that were built, the fish canneries. Right, and so going down the coast, San Diego, Santa Monica, the, the, the Pacific coast is a great coast for, for bluefish, sardines. They travel from uh, way down Santa Monica and, and San Diego all the way up to Seattle, to mate and to, so there's, uh, the sardines are really, and the tuna, the bluefish, is quite available. And Sicily is known for its tonare, for its canning of tuna, for its canning of sardines. And so when they came to the coast, it was a great opportunity for them, uh, that business. The, the canning industry in San Diego, which now has been moved, was really energized and kind of blossomed when the Italian immigrants were there. Then it went into the uh, Asian immigrants took over. Uh, and now it somehow uh, somehow has subsided the canon, I think, done actually on the boats out at sea. And, you know, the, fresh, the, fre- the fish couldn't be any fresher. You can out there and it's ready to go. But gave jobs and opportunities for a new life to thousands of immigrants. And it created an industry and a business. And we have your jelly, the chocolate. <laughs> The chocolate, uh, what's it called? Yeah, you pronounce that one really well. <laughs> I can't remember what it is. G- Giardelli. Giardelli. Oh, Giardelli in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, that's another, that's another, another family and the chocolate. Uh, but take, for example, the Progresso. That's going back to, oh, yes. to New Orleans. As we were talking, the Sicilians need their canned vegetables and tomatoes. They need them nice and ripe, and if it's not in the summer, then they'll use the canned ones in the winter. And so the, the, the Progresso family decided to begin canning 
that, uh, the tomatoes for their uh, immigrant uh, compatriots, if you will. And the Progresso company was born. Now it's a mega company. I think it's owned by General Mills. Probably is now. Now back to that other Italian colony on the East Coast called New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what, yes. What, what, what's happening there? That's what's what New, was unique York, to that area. Well, New York and New Jersey is you know was and Philadelphia by hundreds of thousands of immigrants came. And what New Jersey offered uh, was first coming into the city and sort of uh, finding uh, jobs at the dock or building streets or building bridges. But slowly, you know, Italians are uh, farmers at heart. Growing vegetables and food is, is, is sort of was ingrained in them. And they found the, the soil, the fields of New Jersey, and that's still till this day. Um, for example, Majori Farms, one of the biggest, we went to visit it, one of the biggest farms uh, in New Jersey, the plum tomatoes, eggplant, and this is third generation. And, you know, we went there. We went to visit because we wanted to know tribes and why did they want. A mom was still there, the second generation. And, boy, we had a spread. Just, I could have been in Italy. Ah. And and the eggplants and the tomatoes and the mozzarella and the prosciutto. And, oh, it was just, just wonderful to be in their midst and to see how the family as a whole. And they're one of the largest uh, produce purveyors in Jersey. And also, what amazed me, you know, uh, breweries, which are uh, in New Jersey, it's one of the sort of, I think it's Helberg, Hel- Hel- I'll, I'll find out for you exactly the, the town. It is a, the capital of breweries in America. And breweries are really American, they're not Italian. But the Italian family is the king of breweries, and they grow the now, largest amount. Isn't that amazing, huh? So they, so they so they learned to grow something that they traditionally didn't know anything about. Well, uh, Italians are genetically great farmers. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Uh, you know, they just Italians. They love to eat well. They love to eat in season, and they will find a way to modify anything so it is perfect and good. Now you know berries are very much part of the Italian culinary uh, repertoire. So blueberries is not that they're in the berry family, right? Sure, and was it was a natural to make it their own. Well, there are so so many of these communities. Providence is another one. That in Pittsburgh, we shouldn't ignore Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Absolutely, Pittsburgh. You know, they came up to Pittsburgh for the uh, the steel workers, the work in the steel, uh, the railroads, and so on. And uh, the, the, it's uh, Pittsburgh uh, up on the hill. What what is that? Bloomfield. Uh, Bloomfield, exactly. Uh, We we visited there, and, you know, the the Dell's restaurant, all that, that's still very Italian. But Primanti, take example, I I featured the Primanti sandwich. I thought that was an amazing sandwich. Oh, it is amazing. (laughs) Do you know Mario loves this, too? Mario loves Primanti's. Yeah. Well, but, you know, I think the provola and the capicolas, you know, that's very Italian in a sandwich, Absolutely. And then the throwing in of the French fries, very American, you know. <laughs> so, so you see the two cultures converge, if you will, on the plate. The, the thing you also talk about is that there is this sense of community, uh, that there are all these Italian-American clubs all over the country. There are, and still, you know, uh, they still sort of practice and celebrate uh, the old tradition, because in Italy still the sagra, they're called, or the celebration of a season or the celebration of a saint, Saint Joseph. Oh yeah, we day. have a place here. I don't know if you ever got to that. Where I mean, this is, they have the the second largest Persepia or whatever. I, I went. I went to visit with those ladies. Oh, I did have, you? 
I did. I made the the keys. I have them in my book. Uh, I have them on on. I taped them, and they were. I mean, two three weeks in advance working uh, towards the St. Joseph's Feast. And the beauty of it, you know, and I said, why are you doing this? We're Americans. He says, no, that's very important. That holds the family together. It gives us, it gives us identity. It makes us feel very part of something bigger than ourselves. And then at the end, they said, you know, it's very important to, for the children to feel that. But then at the end, all of these goodies and all of that were sold to benefit the needy. Uh-huh. So it was, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, wonderful because uh, Pittsburgh has great history of Italian. Oh, and yes. Mac on Penn Avenue. Yes, the Sanseri. Uh, espressos, absolutely. You see trucks in uh, Sicily with the Sanseri name on it. I mean, it's a very Sicilian family. Yes, Sanseri, Sanseri, sure. sure. So what do you think is going to happen down the line, Lydia? Like in, in our case, first I married an Englishman. Yeah. Okay. Then our son, who was by this time only half Italian, married a, a woman from a Polish German background, and they cook chili and they took they cook all these other things. But nobody does the traditional Polish food in their family. Nobody does the traditional Italian food when they're cooking. I mean, what happens to the next generation? Well, why don't, why don't we make some? We're going down there for Thanksgiving. Why don't we just make some? But my mother yeah. made it. I don't mean we can't. It doesn't mean we can't. You've got to carry on. I need. We'll have to take Lydia's book. There's sure to be a recipe we can fix. Well, okay, we will do that. Hey, Lydia, what a pleasure it is to talk to you as always. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so thank much for joining much. us, and don't, don't be a stranger. No, okay. Thank you very much. Thanks. Oh, Lydia. Yeah, and it's a, let's, remember, let's mention the name again because it's filled with interesting facts that uh, and fa- fabulous recipes. Let's not forget that more than 175 recipes, which your cover calls "Lovely Lusty." <laughs> but it's the stories also of, of all the people in it. And as I said, you look so happy amidst them all, smiling <laughs> ear to ear. <laughs> Thank you. I had a great time going across America discovering Italy. Uh, Lydia's Italy in America is the title. Lydia Bastianich, we love you. Thank you. Thanks, Anne. Bye-bye. Bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. It's always such a delight talking to Lydia Bastianich. Hi, Lydia. Hi, Anne. Well, you've done it again. Every time I turn around, you're into a new project. <laughs> and, and right on the heels of uh, Italy, I'm going to ask you about that in a little bit, you've written a children's book, Nona, Tell Me a Story. Now, it's a natural, you said. Tell us the story about the book. Well, I have five grandchildren, and they were small. I began to sort of uh, crush herbs under their noses and get them into the smells of food. And as I got older, I began telling them the stories, the stories uh, when I was a little girl, what I did, how I grew up with my grandmother, and she had all these farm animals, and we planted in the garden. And I think these are all such essential basics for food. I certainly wanted to share it with my grandchildren. Well, 
my grandchildren, even today, and they're 8 to 12, five of them, when they come over, Noni, tell me a story when you were a little girl. Still, oh, really? Still goes on. And so this was one of the stories, the story about the Christmas tree when I was a little girl. The Christmas tree when I was a little girl uh, was really simplistic. It was edible at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the story, of course, is centers on the importance of family traditions, cultural traditions. I th- You said the hardest part of this was the illustrations, and I just think they're superb. Well, I had written uh, these stories. As I was telling them, I said, well, I better write them down so that the children will have them you know, as part of their who they are. And then this little kind of vignette, as, as my daughters and everybody was, was reading it, I said, gee, you know, this would make a great children's story. And we ultimately got it into a story, and then it was evident that the family was involved. This I was telling that to my family, and we were all real. So we had to get our illustrations in order now of us, the real people. And uh, that was funny because I had to send pictures to the illustrator, <laughs> character descriptions. Then, and when the, the illustration came back, I shared them with each character, with my grandchildren. Uh-huh. And they had their two cents. Oh, <laughs> you know, I don't like my eyes, I don't like my hair. Uh, but it was fun. I think she really captured us. So the artist n- never really met everybody? No, not everybody. Down the line, yes. But initially, you know, it was pictures. It, it was descriptions of character that their mother wrote, I wrote as a grandma and so on. And I think they were really all captured well. And certainly thinks so, and she's uh, very critical of things artistic. Uh-huh. So, uh, so if you got it right, it must be good. Now, is it, a, is it a good story? I didn't read the story. Is it a good story? Yeah, it's a, it centers on tradition, which okay. is, and I mean, she has, Lydia has a, a vaults full of family traditions, haven't you, Lydia? I, I do, I do, and I think they're so important. Yes, the, the book tells a story about making the Christmas tree maybe not so uh, contemporary with all the glitters and everything sort of store-bought, but making a, a, an organic tree, baking cookies together, tying uh, tangerines up on the tree, making wreaths out of dried figs. That's what we did. And you still do that? Yeah, to some extent, absolutely. You know, it's, it's difficult to transport that time into today's time. Yes. But it evolves. And the evolution is exactly what you said, and is the traditions. How do we incorporate contemporary, today traditions of families into maybe some of the basic values that were, and that is to be very mindful of not wasting, of the earth around us, keeping it green. You know, we, we used to get a little tree, a little bush, a juniper bush, uh-huh. not a big tree. We didn't chop down a big tree to have our Christmas tree, and so on, all of these things. But I think the important message is here to be together, to create uh, memories together, bake together, and children love that. Children love to get their hands into dough and, and, and cook. Now, are there some recipes in here, too? Absolutely. There of, co- are of course there are. <laughs> of course there are. Otherwise, how, <laughs> what a how, silly how, question. <laughs> uh, exactly. How would they put to practice what I'm preaching here? Yeah. Okay, so you, you know? <laughs> so you encapsulated that for them, too. Yes, and it is a great... I ho- This book should be a reference book uh, in the kitchen and stay there, not put away for the holidays. Because it has 14 great recipes for children. Some of them are very traditional recipes that we made, I made as a child. Some of them uh, are much more contemporary, you know, for the children of today. Like uh, I give them little cupcakes, angel food cupcakes, are, you know, very nutritionally sensible. Then I know my kids like chocolate chip and oatmeal, uh, oatmeal chocolate chip cookie. Uh, and there's two recipes for uh, flourless cookies, uh, the Bruti Maboni and the pinoli oh, yeah. cookies 
just the almond paste, rather, so that people that have gluten problems. So, you know, it's a conscientious choice of recipes for today. So now you're going to have literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Some of the, I must say, the greatest reward uh, out of all of this, you know, one would ask, is that I find myself invited in people's home and millions that I don't even know. And here is Lydia's recipe. Uh, I get emails, and they say, you know, we're having a Lydia supper tonight. You're kidding. Uh, I just love it. Yeah, now, what, did, what was your grandchildren's reactions when they actually saw the finished product? Well, no, they were so much involved in it. They love it. They took it. They, uh, when it was first released immediately, I sent them all a copy and signed it. They took it right to school. They wanted to share it with <laughs> their teacher, with their friends. And, of course, they were very proud of being uh, uh, of the, the protagonists of the story. Uh-huh. Oh, I think that... I I think that's, that's wonderful. This is going to be a this is going to be a big hit for the Christmas season. I feel I feel sure. And then we'll probably just keep on going because everybody wants to have their own copy. It's such a such a charming testament to yourself and to the heritage that you represent. Now, now, Anne wanted to ask you about something else you're up to as well because writing children's books and writing other cookbooks just wasn't enough. Owning uh, several restaurants isn't enough. You had to do something really big. <laughs> You know, it's it's not that it's not enough or, or, or you wanted something more. It's the opportunities that kind of come, and you just can't refuse because you know that something like that could be successful, that people would appreciate it. And when you have all the elements together, it's got to happen. I assume you're talking about Italy. Yeah, Italy, Italy, Italy yes. Italy. 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 Very, very clever plan was that there is, there is an Italy already, correct? There was a, there in addition a, to yours, there's an Italy already in Italy. Right, there's an Italy, E-A-T-A-L-Y, in I-T-A-L-Y. There you go. Uh, in Piemonte, in Torino, in, in, Torino. in Italy, there is the original store, and Oscar Farinetti uh, was the sort of the, the brainchild behind. And uh, I knew Oscar, and, you know, I met, I went there, and I did an event, I did a dinner, and he explained to me, you know, how much he wanted to, to come to the United States, and that he felt that this concept of uh, a specialty store with the really unique, the slow food kind of products of Italy, those traditional right. products, plus having restaurants within, dispersed within this uh, retail store, if you will, where one could buy fresh fish, fresh meat, and eat it cooked, have restaurants. So we have seven restaurants in Italy here. And besides, you know, the, the, the fruit markets and the, the markets, and we make our own bread. And we have a pizza from Naples, a wood-burning pizza oven. Uh, we have a pasta restaurant, we have a pesce fish, we have manzo restaurant, which is a, a restaurant, a sit-down restaurant where you eat uh, basically meat. Mm-hmm. So it is this kind of 50,000 square feet. That's huge. I mean, Lydia, and when you were planning this, it probably was the, the glummest time in the retail market or in the um, food market or any market, right, financially. Yeah, but that's why, you know, I mean, there were, there's a lot of people, uh, in a sense, involved. Oscar, uh, you know, wanted, and so he's, is, he is the big investor. And then, of course, you know, I, I told Oscar, I said, you know, I can't do this by myself. If the boys want to do it, meaning Mario Batali and Joseph Bastianich, my sons. Yeah. And, of course, they got involved. And then we have two young brothers, the Saper brothers, also, who are American. And they fell in love with Italian culture. 
So this is a group of really competent individuals, each knowing their own kind of department, and it's it's been quite successful. Anne. Yeah, it was nicely received. Oh, certainly, certainly the press. Yes. It reminds me a little bit, Lydia, of a place in Bologna called is it Tamburini's. Oh, I know Tamburini. Tamburini, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I forgot about it, and it's fun. So it's uh, not so it's not just something made up new and modern. I mean these these kinds of shops exist oh, thr- throughout throughout Italy. Maybe maybe not quite as comprehensive as as Italy, but certainly it's uh, it's a slice of Italy. Another one transplanted here into the United States, and I, the community apparently is welcoming it and crowding there. So I haven't heard that thing about it at, at all. It all praise raves actually. And and Anne's antennas are always up, just in case. So she hasn't heard anything. <laughs> well, we, well, we try we try not to miss anything, but sometimes we do. But uh, well, I look forward to to that next time in, in Manhattan to do that. Lydia, bring us up to date on a couple of other things. Number one, you just have a new website. Oh you, yes, and you said it's wonderful and it's interactive. Oh. Can you give us that that uh, website? Address? Oh, I am so excited about it. It's uh, www.lidiasitaly, all one word, no apostrophe, L-I, uh, D-I-S, Italy. It's great because we're streaming my shows on it. We have the communal table where we share recipes. I just uh, had a question today about this. Uh, she asked me, she says, Lydia, I love your chicken and potatoes, grandma's chicken and potatoes. Can you recommend? So I recommended a whole meal and the wine to go with it for her to plan. So this kind of interactive activities. Uh, uh, so we are very excited uh, and uh, we love for you to go on and Tell us what you think about it. I will. I will indeed. Um, I told you that I had this quirk in my mail scanner program that said it was spam. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I but I will go back you, on you, it. You fixed that. Well, I, I did. I knew about Lydia'sItaly.com for a long time. Well, now this is a new I, one. Because I sent, uh, well, it's, it, it's always been Lydia's email address. Yeah, but this is so a, a whole new a, site, yeah, brand new. Just yeah, really. I, I got the message. Oh, <laughs> I, I had another question. Yes. Is now the, uh, the fish store. I mean, they in Italy. Uh-huh. Is David permanently there, or just uh, David? Consultants? Yeah, David supervises it. So we have. You, so how the store runs is that it, we have a fresh fish market, and you know we have for our restaurants our own uh, fish guys going yeah, every morning right. at two o'clock in the morning to the market. So we get fresh fish. You can buy the fresh fish, but right in back of it, there's a counter and sitting area uh, where Dave Pasternak is in charge of a fish restaurant. So it's under his tutelage. He is there that's periodically, right. but, you know, he runs Esca. But he's still at Esca, and that's, yeah. I, I love David. Well, this is Lydia. When are you coming to visit us again? Oh, I, I was just there. I think uh, it was in and out. I did something for public television there and whatever. I was there three weeks ago. Yeah, well, we, we were in Tuscany. Yeah, we were in it. We, we yeah, missed we, you. We, did, we, had, we, we had a little get-together, but right. you were not around. Yeah, I was in Tuscany, I think. Well, keep up, keep up the great work, and happy, happy holidays to you coming up very soon, Lydia. It's always a delight to talk to you. Thanks. Thanks, thanks very thanks, much, and Lydia. happy holidays to both of you. Thank you. And please. everybody else. Okay, bye-bye. Arrivederci. Arrivederci.